Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It takes a lot of ingredients to fix or build a car, like cooking, but without the frozen dinner easy way out. eBay Motors has 122 million parts. It's always the right fitment, so you can follow any recipe to a T. Whether it's a vintage Italian coupe that's classic like grandma's meatballs or a German luxury car that's as complicated as Oma's Rouladen, to cook up something great in the garage, use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Before we do get started this week, just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by our partners over at FansBet. Remember, FansBet are committed to sharing 50% of their net profit with fans around the country, helping out with fan initiatives and causes. To see more from them, do head over to the website, fansbet.com, or over to their Twitter page, which is at FansBet. Here's your podcast. It's the Blue Room on Radio City Talk, and we're here to talk about Everton, who are into the quarterfinals of the League Cup, but... People don't seem to be that happy about it. Uh, Mike Diash, are you happy about it? I'm made up because I haven't won a game of football. Paddy, are you happy about it? Why would you not be happy about it? I well, don't, I don't really. I'll be honest. I don't get the the whole kind of Twitter storm and outrage in the in the aftermath of this. I, just I think get it a bit. I get it. We're into the last days of a cup competition. That's something to be happy about. Everton have won a game. The, the second win in, in three games. And yes, we know what happened at Brighton, but. It's just nice to see Everton win a football game. Cherish it, cherish I, it. I Wake up and bask in the glow of a win. I think <laughs> there was a lot of anger and a lot of feelings brought about from the game at the weekend. Understandably, I think there's been a bit of a surplus of them. I think that's spilled over. No matter what the result was going to be yesterday, I think people were still going to be a bit angry, like Les. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was weird, though, being in the, in the ground, though, because usually at this stage of, the, of a cup competition, regardless of the opposition... You get a few songs about going to Wembley, you know, and all that sort of thing. And it was very much, it felt like, I'm trying, it's hard, to, it felt like it was a, a second round League Cup tie in in that sense. It was very much a case of, we're all here to watch this in the cold. We're not playing well. We're playing against a team that's made loads of changes and it's a bit of a battle. But there's not really much excitement. And I, I, I don't know if you felt the same sitting there, Paddy, but it just felt to me as though it was just sort of a, a run-of-the-mill, just-got-to-get-through-it sort of football match. Yeah, but we, we feel as though we're on the brink at the moment, don't we? Yeah. And I think the fan base, 
rightly or wrongly, believes that Silva's kind of one or two bad results away from going here. So I think everybody's on tenterhooks. There's, there's an edge to the place, as always happens when they're, when they're kind of down in the dumps. And you could sense that. I, I totally agree. I didn't hear one song about Wembley. Um, um, because of what Everton delivered on the pitch for the first 45, the crowd wasn't particularly animated. That, mm. That's not an indictment on them. It's just what they saw on the pitch and what they've had to deal with over the over the past month or so. I mean, it, it's been kind of slim pickings in terms of in terms of positivity. But but like I say, this is something to to get a little bit excited about. I think that the fact that you're into the last eight, you're only a couple of games there from from potentially three games from going to Wembley and being beaten by um, City <laughs> and losing to City. Well, we are our second team. <laughs> If they, if, yeah, if if anybody wins it and it's not Everton, then as, <laughs> as Matt already said, then our yeah. second team can. Uh, just to give you a bit of a flavour of, of what's uh, coming up as well, first part of the show, we're going to be discussing last night's game in a lot of detail. We'll talk about Richarlison in the start of the second part of the show. We probably wrote a piece for for the Athletics today. He obviously wrapped the game up last night for the Blues, and um, we look ahead to Tottenham. And in the final part of the show, we'll catch up with Sarah Halpin, who told us all about Everton ladies, who are doing fantastically well the, at the moment, fifth in the table, three wins. They had another win at the weekend against Brighton and Hove Albion. And, of course, we'll chat about that game at Anfield coming up on November the 17th, which will be a fantastic occasion. Um, but going back to the match last night, Mike, one of the, the other major talking points coming out of this, again, not a particularly positive one, but... Um, Marco Silva's handling of Moyes Keane. Um, I've seen some people very angry about it. I've seen some people angry about people who are angry about it. I've seen some people who aren't angry and uh, who are angry about people who aren't angry enough about this. Um, I mean, my take I said on the on the post match last night, I felt as though we should have either started him up front on his own, started up front in a two, or had him on the bench to come on and play up front. And it just felt as though it was very much. I'm going to give you a token appearance here, Moyes. Go and run around for a bit in a position you're not totally familiar with. And if you don't do well, I'm going to hook it off. And it just felt a little bit harsh on the lad for me. Yeah, I felt pretty sorry for him, to be honest with you. But I think it's a wider problem than Marco Silva and his use of Moyes Keane, to be honest with you. I think the idea of confidence in young players, I don't think we've seen confident young players at Everton probably since 13-14 and Martinez's first season. I wouldn't say that since then there's been a young player who's either thrived in the atmosphere or really gone on and done very, very well. There's no one that really strikes strikes my mind. But, but there's a lot of, there was a lot of goodwill for him early on, wasn't there, from the from the crowd? Well, I agree, but that can only take you so far. I think it's more about Everton as a football club. There must be a bigger over, overreaching factor that means that these players just are stripped of the confidence within months. Like, you looked at Moise Keane yesterday, and he did just look like he was stood on the periphery waiting for an outball from James Coleman, and admittedly, that's quite a hard task at the minute because he's finding it difficult to pass footballs. Mm. But he just didn't look like he wanted to be that involved in the game. And that's not uh, having a go at him, that's just the way he came across. I think that that's speaking more about how... Let's go back to Sandro Ramirez and look at a player who was banging in goals in Spain, and then within a few months same thing had happened granted it's nowhere near the same levels of ability at the age they're at but it's still the same kind of thing where a young player comes in doesn't really do it in say the first appearance you don't see them again for three or four games Mm. and then as you say gets that token appearance doesn't do it and everyone writes them off I think we saw it with Luckman quite a few times as well that that sort of fleeting appearance doesn't really do it then there's one where he does gets brought in just on a whim, on a in a position that doesn't really suit him, and everyone writes them off again. And that sort of nosedive of confidence 
is just so disheartening for young players and it's causing a major problem with the club. It must be f- pretty frustrating as a young player to bide your time for an opportunity and then when the opportunity does come, it's out of position, out on the right flank with and in tandem with somebody like Seamus Coleman who's out of form himself. So I, I do feel sorry and I do feel sympathy for Moyes Keane. Um, I think the only thing to add there is that across the board, we've seen Silva be a little bit cautious when it comes to blooding, in quotation marks, mm. young players. We're also told that he feels that this is not the ideal time to be doing that, and yeah. he's right. He's right. You, you stick a Lewis Gibson or an Anthony Gordon onto the pitch at this moment in time, it might lift the crowd a little bit, but we're still only one defeat or a couple of bad passes away from kind of things lapsing back to the norm, aren't we? So you have got to be careful. You don't want to destroy some of these young players before they've even emerged, really. Um, As far as I'm concerned, I don't think we've seen enough from Moise Keane to say that he warrants a start. We just haven't really seen enough of him anyway. If it had been me, I'd have probably gone with with Walcott on the right and and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's thoroughly merited his start, uh, five goals in five games before last night. I'd have probably gone that way and then looked to bring Keane off the bench when the game got a bit stretched. That's probably where Mm -hmm. you you kind of get him in to the swing of things now. As it happens, playing out on the right, I think that was an unenviable task, one that you don't really wish on a lad that young. And it is killing his confidence. I think you can quite clearly see that it's killing his confidence. And Everton have got to be careful now. They've got, they have got a top prospect on their hands, but they have to be careful that they manage him and, and bring him back into the fold in such a way that he's able to get game time up front, get the occasional mm. goal, and then push on from there. Yeah, I think that this wasn't part of Marco Silva's master plan, let's be honest. Look at this in context. What do you mean, signing Moise Keane or how No, no, on? playing him on the right wing. Okay, right. Is that, let's say if Bernard doesn't get injured against Brighton, he probably doesn't play on the right wing, does he? Because you've got at least a half-decent left-field option that can then mean Theo Walcott can have a rest or whatever was the plan and play Richardson on the right-hand side. Because of that injury, it kind of scuppers the way that the wing play Awobi works. as well, though, because Awobi yeah. has moved very quickly from the left to the centre, so mm-hmm. you're another winger down. You've not replaced Luckman. If, yeah. if Awobi mm-hmm. was the Luckman replacement and Awobi's playing in the centre, mm-hmm. then you're a winger down as it is. Mm-hmm. Then Richarlison's injury, he doesn't want to blood Gibson. Um, Gibson and, and Gordon, obviously Gordon being the, the winger, as, as we've said. So that does leave you with a positive options, White. Hmm. Uh, Mike's Mike's right. It, it, it's not easy to, to to kind of rotate here. Walcott might not be able to play every 90 minutes given his injury record. And mm-hmm. that's where kind of Keane ends up being the sacrificial. Yeah. He's the sacrificial lamb, isn't he, of, mm-hmm. of the result last night. Yeah. Um, on to the, the second half then where things improved. Not dramatically, but they certainly improved. Um, Mike, I'll come to you on, on this one first. Um, Mason Holgate, one goal and one assist in, in two games for the lad now. <laughs> Obviously, that's not what he's in the side for. Um, but I think he's. Um, I think what I noticed last night in regards to a celebration and, and after the game and reading what he had to say, it seems as though he's, he's a player who, I know all players will say this after the game, but it seems like everybody in that squad really likes him. Seems very popular. Everyone wants this lad to do really well. And, and at the moment, with the way Michael Keane's playing, yeah, he mean his injury. He's probably got a good chance to, to make a, a real case for starting games regularly for us now, hasn't he? Definitely made no real discernible mistakes in the games that he played so far. And I'd say it's a case of him maturing as a footballer rather than just like his likability, etc. and those things. Um, we've spoken a lot about the use of loans recently and how Everton have done it quite badly. Maybe this is a good one for him because yeah. it does seem he's come back and 
seems to have come back with a much more mature outlook. Just you could tell maybe the season before last when he played that he was a young player, whereas now he just looks like a centre half at the minute who is capable of playing Premier League football, which is excellent for him. And as you say, he does have a real claim on one of those positions now. I felt he was probably the only one in the Everton team that came out with their reputation enhanced mm. after the Amex um, yeah. and the kind of the debacle of the last 15 minutes. Well, Lee Mason didn't. <laughs> Lee, Lee Mason didn't. A few in, in Everton shirts didn't either. Um, and I got absolutely drenched afterwards as an aside, so it was a thoroughly dreadful day. <laughs> uh, and I was so grumpy afterwards. Um, Mason Holgate was kind of a rare shining light, though, in in the midst of all that. Um, I know they conceded three goals, but I, I think... In the main, he was pretty confident. He was commanding in the air, passing the ball well and bringing it out from the back. If we had an, an attacking midfielder, Gilfie Sigurdsson or Alex Awobi, striding forward to the ball and sliding yeah. that pass into Dominic Calvert-Lewin, we'd all be cooing about it. So the yeah. fact that our centre-back's capable of doing that is is obviously a huge boost to to us and, and to Marco Silva. I think he's now starting to stake a, a real case and that's not just because of Yerry Mina's injury. I think what we've seen and what we've commented on so much this season is the two cent the two cent well are the two centre halves and the way in which they don't really complement each other. But if you look at all Holgate's best attributes, yeah. a bit quicker across the ground, decent on the ball, brings the ball out, they're all things that would complement probably Mina and probably Michael Keane as well. So um you you're right on that, you're right on that. I think he's he's advanced his claims over the past couple of weeks. Lovely to see Davis run over yeah. to him. Not only when he scored, but but also at the end. And just to further your point on his likability, I I spoke to Jimmy Shan, who was obviously West Brom's um, a, well, caretaker manager for the second part of last season. He had Holgate on loan, and I'm writing at the moment. I'm in the middle of writing a piece on Holgate and where he fits into the big picture. But Shan said that um, he was so popular on the training ground, everybody wanted to, him to succeed. And there was a feeling as though it was only a matter of time before he went on and pushed on to to be a proper Premier League player. They didn't think he was ever likely to stay yeah. at West Brom. And I know he played out on the right at times, but they saw a guy that was versatile, had loads of kind of key skills and was a quick learner on the training ground. We're hearing that again from Marco Silva, who, who raved about him after last night. So and the, the lad's got a lot going for him at this moment in time. We, we, it's not as though he's competing with three, four, five centre backs. Yeah. There's only there's Yerry Mina who's been relatively good, but is in in the middle of a few injuries at the moment. Michael Keane who started well but has, has tailed off a bit at the moment. And Marco Silva keeps on referring to only having three centre backs. He doesn't see Lewis Gibson as part of the mm. the equation this season. So he's going to get opportunities, isn't he? Particularly yeah. if Everton continue to. Uh, to progress in cup competitions. I think he's been very, very impressive. I think the way he's kind of come in, he shouted the odds and he's barked ordered his teammates and looked to make confident decisions at a difficult time. That shows a lot of character. Yeah. It shows it, that's a, there's a bravery beyond kind of the old school blood and thunder stuff. He's he's taken brave decisions on the ball and it's paying off for him. And for me, he deserves to yeah. keep his place. I remember during the, the Dark Holiday stage as well where things were going terribly for us. He was, even in that spell, and you think back to that back four we had at the time, which I remember it very well, John Joe Kenny, Mason Holgate, Ashley Williams, Kuka Martina. 
that that defence. He he was often the one in there. He was you know not ideal circumstances by any means, but he was often the player in that back four who, who stood up and and was counted. Um, very quickly, Mike, before we, we go to a break, uh, Paddy said Mason Holgate's got a lot going for him at the moment. Um, another lad who's got a lot going for him currently, I'd say, is someone who likes to pretend doesn't exist on this show from time to time, and that's Fia Walcott. Um, obviously played very well against West Ham. Um, singled out for praise from a lot of people, including Matt Cheatham on our very own Stats Pack show. Um, Brighton, bit of hit and miss in that game, you'd have to say, but um, came on a half-time last night and and transform the game in, in some respects. Um, and the, the thing I liked about it, and the thing I'm often critical of Walcott for being, is he's very much... I don't like him being a wide player who hugs the touchline. I think he's at his best when he's between centre-back and, and full-back, and he makes those little runs inside. And he was getting into that position a lot when he came on last night, and it, it just unsettled the Whopper defence a little bit. Yeah, and he's making quick decisions, which is something that he's been prone to not doing. I think he, that was the case away at Brighton, where I didn't think he was very good at all. Mm. Um Last like last night, the for the first goal, ball gets crossed over. What do you do? Brings it down fantastically and says, "Right, I've got to get this right back." Mm. And he does instantly. If that's Steele Walcott of let's say two or three months ago, then he probably dribbles it halfway across the box and scuffs a shot out wide, or dribbles it halfway across the box and then turns around and does it the yeah. other way again. But it'd be nice to just see a semblance of just consistent determination from him because. It's, I know, I know what you're saying. The, yeah, he's been very good in one game and then not one and then one. We'll just put three together now, put, yeah. four, put four together, put five together and just actually be the player. And I know that everyone's said that for years about Walcott and it's just such a cliche and I can just feel myself hating <laughs> myself for saying it. But you know that it's there with him. Like the work ethic, obviously all the stories about him doing really well in training and that's why he's been given his opportunity, being bombed out of the squad and it being a real light switch moment for him, those sorts of things. It's, you, that, that's nice to hear about a professional football, but it should come as granted for them, let's be quite honest. But mm. you just want to see him take that determination to succeed and just put it all together on the pitch for five or six games in a row now. Yeah, uh, loves a goal against Tottenham as well, Paddy, which bodes well. The yeah, weekend. well... It depends how many Tottenham score against yeah. <laughs> doesn't it really? Um, he does love a goal against Tottenham, though, you're right. And I think he made a big difference when he came onto the pitch in the second half against Watford. Um, it, more than anything, I think it was just about having what seemed like a balanced side yeah. where all of a sudden the, the two central midfielders who were thought were really poor in the first half started getting the heads up and sliding balls in between Watford centre-backs and and, and full-backs, Walcott running in behind. The composure that we saw for the for the goal that Mike's touched on there is, is something I've not seen from him mm. for, for a long, long time. Usually he's pretty wasteful when he gets into those kinds of positions. But you can see from that moment that he feels himself that he's in a good vein of form. Mm. And that, that, I mean, that if, we, if we're being honest, I've been a detractor at times. I, I don't think he's done enough in an Everton shirt. But over the last couple of weeks, he has progressed. He has looked better. And Everton look a better team at the moment with him in the side. So he's another one of those ones, along with somebody like a Holgate. And even a Tom Davis, who I think comes out of yesterday looking yeah. better off, that deserves to keep their place because of what they've done over the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, at the end of part one, after the break, I'll have a chat about Richarlison. I might ask the lads in the break as well, do you want to chat about VAR after the weekend? They're both shaking their heads, so maybe not on that one. We'll definitely preview Tottenham, and we'll definitely hear from Sarah as well. Be right back here on the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. 
We are back for part two of the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. A few rants in the break there from the lads about all sorts of technically bad footballers to VAR. So we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. We're going to talk about something positive, and that is Richarlison. Um, it's always nice when you get that counter-attacking goal at the end of the game, isn't it, Paddy? Sort of kill the match off. And, you know, I said on the, on the post-match last night that I think Richarlison, whether he plays left mid or he plays up front, where he plays right-hand side, I think that's the type of goal he should be looking to score about five times a season. Yeah. Where it's just the game stretched, he's run onto passes, and he just keeps his composure and finishes well in the box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's obviously at his best when the game opens up and he's able to run into that space. I also think he's at his best when he's making that run off the line and not doing it from the centre. I just think he's more adept in those in those positions. Um, I mean, he's obviously still a goal scorer. He's still one of Everton's main goal scorers, but he can do more in in that facet. Um, and I think for me, the the main thing is that he, wherever he's playing at the moment, he's making tangible contributions. So he he's played up front for a few games, looked decent there, um, come up with a, an assist, maybe even a goal if you, if you look at it a different <laughs> way against Brighton. Do you get an assist if you're the last person to touch it before an own goal? You did on you do on fancy football, oh, which okay. is what I'm judging this on. Oh, right, that is. might not even be the most scientific way to do it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah. Um, but he, he played a big role either way in that goal against Brighton and then moves to the left in the absence of Bernard against Watford, comes up with a goal there. And I think whatever else happens, there are loads of moving parts at the moment in this Everton side, particularly in that attack. Calvert-Lewin comes in and out, Moise Keane is used sporadically, Walcott's back in the fold. We don't, well, we've gone from Sigurdsson to Awobi as a number 10, Bernard's now not in the t- not, not in the team. Loads and loads of moving parts, but he's the one constant yeah. and he's the one that will play regardless of what, what's happening elsewhere. He can do it from the left, he can do it from the right, he can do it from the centre. Actually, statistically, he's more likely to score goals if you're playing from the left or right. Mm. Um, but then I think he does add something up front as well and he's improving certain facets of his game all the time, heading, finishing, all, all those kinds of things. So he's just... I mean, I, I, I wrote a piece on this on Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. Um, after, the, after the game against Watford... And my point was that he's he's just Everton's talisman. Wherever yeah. you play him, he's the one that Silver looks to. He's got that bond with the manager. Um, that's reinforced by all the stats, any metric you would choose to to pluck out of the air. And Silver doesn't really see him as a centre forward or as a left winger or a right winger or any of those kinds of things. He resists those categories yeah. and those that that, that kind of categorisation. He is just a forward. He's a modern forward that will play anywhere. He'll look for weaknesses in the opposition backline. Even when he's playing up front, and he played up front against Brighton, obviously, he was pulling out to the left all the time onto Martin Montoya when yeah. he was trying to win headers. He was he was making runs into the channels because that's just what he does. He, he Wherever he plays, he floats and he looks to, to, to pick up on weaknesses in the opposition lines. I think it, for his age... He's a remarkably intelligent footballer at knowing where the space is and knowing how to get on the end of things. And very often what makes the goals are the runs. Like if you look at the goal against Wolves earlier in the yeah. season, it's a brilliant run from a withdrawn position. Same against Lincoln as well. And he's really developed those facets in his game. I, I mean, he's, he's Everton's best attacker, quite, quite clearly. Um, he's only young still. He's only 22. 
Um, we, we talk about youngsters on the side. I mean, Mason Holgate's 23. Yeah. And he's not established. Look at look at how far progressed Richarlison is. So I think we have to be very excited about what he can what he can do. Um, not great at times. We know he needs to improve creatively. Um, but he always ends up kind of playing the key role, doesn't he? Whenever Everton score an important goal or a, have yeah. a big moment, it always seems to come from him. That tells you everything you need to know. I think you are right, Matt, that he has to score more of those sorts of goals in a season where get it on the break, beats his man and just puts it into the far corner. And I think in in itself, he just needs to beat more players. Yeah, I, I think just more and more, he seems to be doing that thing that Gerard Delafaye used to do, where he'd slow down as he gets to the player and try to take them on. But just use your pace, get past your man. And we saw a lot at the start of his career when he joined Everton, but I think that sort of lessons that you know, I'd love to see that brought back into his game. Just the way he scores that goal, where he's running at full pace, just feints to shoot, does a little check inside to put the defender off balance, just little things like that, moving really quickly at full speed. Just needs to get round players more often using the skills and assets that he just naturally has rather than thinking too much about them, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, uh, did we all enjoy his English lessons on Twitter last week? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you know everyone jokes about it, but I think it, it shows that the lad's got a bit of confidence, hasn't it, to, to go out there and put you know some of the questions he, he answered were a little bit ropey. You'd have to say <laughs> some, some of the answers and some. They're of the, always going to be some of the English was, better than I could do in Portuguese. I'll yeah, tell you that. that is absolutely fair. But it's it, you know that you know seeing him do that sort of thing, seeing the the video of more doing the pizza come out. I think it just further. You know, it further endears him to supporters, doesn't it? And, and makes us like him even more in, I think, in that sense. I think it'll help a lot when he starts doing interviews. Yeah. Like, do you know when like people can just put his voice to actually his face in an English language? Yeah, yeah. I think that that sort of thing always helps as to these that At sounds. the minute, you kind of expect pigeon noises, don't you? You do. <laughs> yeah, literally. That's that's you what you associate. You open and, yeah. and hear pigeon noise. I thought you were going to do it, Dan. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. Do you know the little pause? Yeah. He really thought about it and flapped it. When I wish we had all flapped it, we like it. Comedy, comedy on the blue room as I'll well. I'll be here all week. <laughs> but, have you um, seen the um, Have you seen the clip of him going up to Jorelio Gomez after he scores? Yeah, so, and he effectively just it's like a a pass on the head. Almost. Yeah, previous there with, with them too, possibly, and then gets a little bit of a shove, doesn't he? Yeah, for, for his trouble. Yeah, don't mind a bit of that. No, no I quite like it. Okay. Once he scores a goal, fine, do what you want. Yeah, um, <laughs> just just very quickly um, on the manager. Um, I don't really think it changes much, does it, Mike, in regards to his, his position and, and what people. You know, it seems like they're very similar thoughts are being echoed on social media today. A lot of similar things are being said after the game, and it still feels like he's in that situation where he needs to just build up a lot of credit that could be eroded away very quickly by one bad performance. Yep, definitely. I think, as Paddy said before, very sensibly, it's one result away from stability and it's one result away from absolutely all falling apart again. And that's the cycle that he's going to be in unless he wins something ridiculous like six games on the bounce Hmm. and takes a couple of big scalps because that's what turned it around last time and anything less than that and we're probably still going to stay in this sort of mode. And I think that's why people are... Overly unhappy with last night because it's that feeling of frustration that you're not actually very happy that Everton won. It just doesn't feel that good because you've got the lingering of Brighton in the back of your head. You've got the lingering of spares and all of those December games to come in the forefront of your mind. And people are just unhappy that Everton aren't quite where they should be right now. And that's fair enough. But this game doesn't really change anything. And 
overanalyzing or moaning about it too much obviously is so detrimental especially to the players who let's be honest their confidence must have been absolutely on the floor after the weekend yeah through no fault of their own that must have been a horrible dressing room and then to go out and get yourself a routine win it's harder than it sounds so i think they do deserve a little bit of credit as a squad i was in the amex tunnel with the mix zone for, for media <laughs> duties after, after the game on saturday uh did you say it, anything to the referee and it um, I didn't, but other people did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to say anything, put it that way. Um, he had he had bigger problems than me. Um, and, I mean, some of the Everton players were angry, but quite a lot of them just had their heads down. And it was kind of, as they walked past the assembled media, it was kind of a sheepish, like, look, yeah. I just can't can't do anything. One of the few that did want to come out and speak, by the way, was Mason Holgate. And he, he I, th- I thought he was very, very impressive mm. at doing that. And again, that reinforces the notion of kind of, Standing up and and kind of fronting up in the face of adversity. How did he speak? He's he's got better. He's mm. got better. I remember interviewing him two or three years ago and not getting much out of him just because he didn't have much to say. Mm. But the, the loan at West Brom, I think, has done him a lot of good in that sense as well. Mm. You move away again. You have to mature quite quickly, and you, you play with grown men in that dressing room. Yeah. He was being coached by Darren Moore for yeah. for a good while. That there was some seasoned pros in in the dressing room. So. Um, the the morale was low. It, it really, really was low after that game. So unsurprisingly, you could see a side bereft of confidence on the pitch against Watford. What I think, what I think is good now, though, is that yes, of course, Silver had to win that game. We needed to get a win from somewhere to progress in the Carabao and to kind of lift things slightly. But I don't think the next round takes place until December now. Yeah. So Everton have got a couple of months to focus solely on what needs to be the absolute priority for these next few months. Don't even think about the Carabao for now. Just move on. Make sure the focus is pushing quickly up that league table. Because I said that we're one game from... It's feast or famine. We're one game from things being all right again. And we're one game from things going badly. And that bears out when you look at the table. Mm. There are only three points, I think, off seventh. And by the same token, they could quite easily lose at the weekend and be in the relegation zone ahead of a very, very tricky December. So um, now that we've kind of got that Carabao game out of the way, it's good that we can focus on the league. He's going to have to make progress there. They're going to have to push on up the table because if if he's still in a position where in December we're down amongst the proverbial dead men, then... They've got a decision to make, haven't they, the club? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we'll finish off this part then by looking ahead to that game against Tottenham, who haven't won an away game in the Premier League since January. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen that stuff by now. You know, insert time for Everton meme here. Um, I think, Mike, it's it's one of them where I think we've all spoken on the show or, or in the break about how it looked like Everton missed Tom Davis at the weekend. We all want Andre Gomez to play. We all want to see Richarlison playing. We want to see Iwobi playing. You know, Theo Walcott, I think, has earned his place. But I think that the midfield in this game is where Marcus Silva's got his big decision to make, hasn't it? Because while Gomez and, and Davis has did, worked okay against uh, West Ham at home, if you think back to the game he played against Tottenham last season, it was very well. It was the that exact same midfield, and they got the run around by Spurs. Um, so I, I think for me, as much as I wanted this team to be positive and I want them to go and try and take the game to Tottenham, I think we might need to stiffen that area of the pitch up a little bit. Yeah, so you're probably looking at three midfielders, probably someone like Schneiderlin could well be Delphone that you'd expect, who hasn't pulled up that many trees. To be truth be told, I'd probably rather have Morgan Schneiderlin in there, if mm. I'm honest. Um, 
But you are right, you definitely have to be a bit stronger in the midfield than we have been recently. But we spoke about this weeks and weeks ago. I think it was after the Wolves game that just was end-to-end and two two midfields that just couldn't dominate a game. And I think that since um, Gabamin's injury, Everton just don't have that sort of stabilising number six that can sit and anchor in midfield. Mm. And that's been a massive problem. That's been the reason that they haven't been able to dominate games as they should. Yeah, absolutely. The the loss of Idrissa Gay and then obviously Bamman's injury, both being kind of quite keenly felt. I think Tom Davis has to play. Everton really did miss his energy and his ability to break the lines, both with his passes and also with his dribbles against a side like Watford. I think he's got to come back in. Um, but it's what he does with the rest of that midfield, as you say, because no two of, of that three, no two as a combination strikes me as being one that will completely dominate Spurs or even mm. go toe-to-toe with, with an underperforming Spurs, let's be honest. They've still got some very good midfielders and you, you'd you think they'd bring Ndombele into mm-hmm. the side now. Is Lo Celso yeah. back fit as well? Lo Celso's back the fit as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's lucky, isn't it? Spurs have got a lot of room for improvement and if they brought, say, Ndombele and Lo Celso back in in that midfield, that then becomes a very strong midfield. So, yeah, I kind of agree with both of you. I think that there's potential here that he goes with all three of those guys. Maybe then you see Richarlison back up front with Iwobi slightly from the left and, yeah. and Walcott from the right. That That's a way he, he could go. Um, but yeah, that, that stat about um, about Spurs and the, the away record kind of sends alarm bells mm. ringing a little bit, doesn't it? Because we, we kind of tend to know what happens there. I, I, I still think that, that they they should push on. They're way below what even I'd have considered to be their bottom line. Yeah. And you go through that squad and you still think to yourself, oh, there's Toby Alderweireld and Fatongan at the back here and and Don Blake can come in with Lo Celso in midfield. Son is there, Harry Kane's there. That Deli squad Ali's should be finishing right. third. They should be the, yeah. they should yeah. be the third best team in the league, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, they should be. The other decision Marcus Silva might have to make, well he will have to make, is who plays at right back. And Seamus Coleman didn't have the best game. I think it's probably fair to say on Tuesday night against Watford. Um, but he's, I suppose, I think that it's it's easy, Mike, for managers to pick the favourites in favourites in inverted commas when you've had that cup game in midweek and you had the you had the chance to rotation ro- rotate the squad. Coleman's back on the side. I think it'll tell us a lot about Marco Silva, depending on who does play in that game. Because I think on all the evidence we've seen so far, granted there's not much to Sadiwi, but he just looks a better option in that position at the moment. Absolutely. I think um, Seamus Coleman has basically written the script for himself by not playing very well at all. There's no way he should be near that starting eleven. I don't think... I think as Coleman is ageing now, it's becoming quite clear that technically he's not a very good footballer and that age is going to hamper him in the way that it does very untechnical wingers that they just suddenly become pretty redundant and have no space in the first 11 really and I think Sadiba absolutely has to come in absolutely has to yeah yeah I think Sadiba deserves deserves to start given what we've seen from the two players so far this season um I the, the one caveat here is that if you look at what Marco Silva usually does he tends to keep faith with the players that he trusts and then he's worked with o- over time. So that's where Coleman gets a slight edge, you would feel, in the manager's eye. Um, so it's going to, yeah, that'll, that'll be an intriguing part of the pitch, really, because I, I think Everton have got to go back to Sadibi. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because of what he does 
going forward, but I think he's just a bit better at dealing with the fast transitions going the other way yeah. Yeah. as well. And think about Coleman was poor last season against Son. Everton were given a, the runaround by Son. You'd rather have that extra pace there from Sadibi. It just looks a bit more mobile and a bit more likely to create something at the other end too. He looks comfortable as a Premier League footballer. Yeah. Which is, I wasn't sure if he would be or not when he came over. And he really does. Looks like he has all the attributes to really make it. And obviously, the only caveat and problem you have that you have that worry in the back of your mind is his knees. Yeah. If his knees are going to hold up. And that was the only one thing in my mind that gives Coleman the edge over him is that sense of consistency and avoidance of injuries. Are we going to get on? I think, I think we'll probably, probably draw. I think we'll play all right. 2-1 Spurs oh Jesus Christ can we re-record that and <laughs> not do that 8-0 eight, eight to Everton there you there go there we go more Seamus like Coleman it. hat-trick off um, the bench yeah and Tyus Browning is going to come back from Guangzhou <laughs> and bag the last couple I there think it'll be 1-1 one, one, but I wouldn't be surprised if Everton pulled a sneaky 2-1 out from the back draw there we go love all that 8-0 mm. uh, and 2-1 of the predictions there Um, I reckon it might be Three one. Three ones to the toffees, I reckon. Three one uh, to Everton. Yeah, three ones to the blues. Why why not, Paddy? Why not? Dream. Live not? a little. We're in the quarterfinals of the league. Corpat's gotta come for something. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, <laughs> after the break, I uh, will catch up with Sarah Halpin. You are listening to the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. We will be back with your podcast again very shortly. But first we've got a message about a new app that is changing the culture of gambling by making it social. Who Knows Wins is not a bookmaker's, they are the home of social betting. Once you are set up on their app, you can bet against friends and colleagues on a simple-to-use platform on all different types of sports. It's a great way to rake in the cash from your friends and have a bit of light-hearted chat and stick along the way in the designated conversation section. There are no odds, no bookmakers. This is all about the prediction on the sport and events you pick. The more you know, the more you win. You just set up a league, set an entry fee, choose your matches, invite all your mates in, and you all predict the outcomes of those games or the events. And at the end of it, the person with the most correct predictions wins the pot of money. You can also join preset public leagues with larger pots of money competing against players from across the UK. Here at the Blue Room, we've already set up our league for the weekend matches that, of course, include Everton going to Turf Moor. We've got Brighton versus Tottenham, Liverpool against Leicester and all the top flight games from Saturday. Download the app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. The link to our specific league will be on Twitter and on the website for this show. Just a reminder, it's Who Knows Wins. Download the app on the Apple App or Google Play. And for more information, visit their website at www.whoknowswins.com. We are back for the final part of the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. And Sarah Halpin joins me on the line now. Sarah, thanks very much for coming on. My pleasure, mate, as always. Always good to speak to you. And uh, we're going to talk about Everton uh, and the ladies team who are doing dead well. Um, last time uh, you came on, we were talking, obviously, about a, a really good start to the campaign. We said it's quite early days. It's still early days, but they're still doing pretty well, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a really strong start to the season for the women. And frustratingly, we'd lost back-to-back games in the league against Manchester City, who, you know, we all know how good they are in the women's game. And they beat us 1-0 and we were really, really unfortunate not to get anything from that game. It was a strong performance. But then in our previous game, uh, we played Reading as well away. And 
we want we would we just weren't up to our usual standards. We ended up slipping to a three two defeat there, conceding three goals from set pieces. So I think we were all pretty frustrated after that one. So when we had Brighton at home on the weekend, it had to be a win. Um and it was a really convincing win and and a strong performance as well. So yeah, it feels it feels good. We're sat in fifth fifth place in the league at the moment and uh yeah, I think we're I think we're really gonna push on this season. Is, is that, you know, you talk about the, the game at the weekend and I suppose we'll talk about the performance in a, a little bit more detail, but is that, was that the encouraging thing for you sort of watching it? Because you said there obviously about the, the two defeats in a row and I imagine that when the girls are on the end of results like that, all of a sudden you start thinking back to the sort of dark days of last season, but clearly they didn't let it get them down at the weekend going into that game. Yeah, definitely. We've got such a strong group of girls. They really are a brilliant group and, you know, they've showed that mental strength as well. It was it was exactly like that after the Reading game. I remember speaking to one of our girls and she was like, it's hard to take that one because it does just feel a bit reminiscent of last season where you, you're leaving games defeated, deflated. Um, but, you know, the, it just shows how far they've come on and the resilience within the group. It was sort of never in doubt. I went into that game on Sunday feeling fully confident that we'd get the three points. And, and we did, and it never looked in doubt, even at half time when it was goalless. Um, you felt sure that we'd come out and, and managed to seal the game. And we did. So, yeah, it shows how far we've come on in that sense, not only on the pitch, but the whole attitude and confidence. It's it's a spiral effect, isn't it? I think when, mm. when you know that you're capable of picking up these clean sheets and scoring these goals and getting these wins, um, even when those kind of memories start to start to drift back of last season, I think they quickly push them to the, push them to the side, sorry, and concentrate on the game ahead and, as I said, it was a really convincing performance, so made up with that. Yeah, 2 0 winners on Sunday, said against Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, first goal coming from Chloe Kelly in the 57th minute, and then 10 minutes later, Esme Morgan kills the match off. Um, and you know, you're saying there, Sarah, about sort of never in doubt, and you've sort of felt that watching the game live. I suppose when you've got a really good goal scorer at the top end of the pitch at the moment, that sort of adds to that feeling. You always feel as though when a chance falls to that person that they're going to stick it away and, and Chloe Kelly is, is very much in that, that mould at the moment um, the only player in the league to have, have scored four goals averaging 113 minutes per goal from a, from a five game so far and you know we spoke last time about her injury issues and how she was out of the side last season and she's just carried it on from that from, from those magnificent two goals she scored earlier on in the campaign 100% you know Chloe's not only an exceptional footballer but She's got great character as well. I think when, when you pick up a nasty injury like that, and of course they happen in football, you can either go one of two ways. And especially in the women's game, when you have to fight so hard for this as a career. And, you know, she she's come back absolutely flying. She was great in pre-season and she's carried that form through to a season. And I was talking to her after the game, the 3-2 defeat, which she scored in that, but she missed a chance as well, a chance that she feels... Uh, she knows really she she could do better with and I know she was frustrated after that but it just goes to show she's picked herself up again bang scores a really really nice goal and she's actually nominated again for player of the month um she won the award for September rightly so as you said scoring averaging a goal every 113 minutes which is mm. fantastic uh scored some worldies in there as well and she's just constantly drawing out fouls because you can see that the opposition just can't handle her. It, it, she's so tricky to play against and you, you just feel whenever she's on the pitch as you said that that she's got a goal in her and long may that continue. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's what I was going to ask you in regards to the, the style of player she is and I think we spoke about it briefly last time you came on but from, from the clips I've seen of her and, and the bits of matches I've seen it's, 
it doesn't seem as if she's just a, a goal scorer who's going to be sort of fox in the box and, and stick away half chances on, you know, instinctively. It feels like she's got a lot more to a game than, than just goal scoring. Absolutely, and that's what's so good about her, you know. you, you The opposition's constantly having to worry, is she going to ping one in from 30 yards? And is she just going to pick up the ball? And movement, the passing of the ball is so quick. She's so intricate and fast. And as I say, teams just can't handle her. And so we're winning a lot of free kicks as well. We've got players in the side who are excellent with their delivery of the ball from set pieces as well. So she's an excellent all-round player to have in the side, a real live wire. And she, it, weirdly, she, she ends up getting bookings as well. I think it's madness some of the times. <laughs> I think she gets brought down that much. And sometimes she against Reading, she actually got fouled and got booked. And you're just thinking, I think she's that fast sometimes that even, even the officials can't keep up with her. But uh, <laughs> no, she's, she's an excellent player and, and thoroughly delighted that she's, she's at Everton. Um, one of the things I've seen talked about over the last few weeks or so is that she didn't get a call up to the most recent England squad, uh, which, you know, looking at those numbers, um, you know, from, from someone like me who doesn't watch the women's game as much as you, feels a little bit harsh. Do you feel as if she should be in amongst that side at the moment? Or, you know, do you look at the, the options that, you know, England have got up front and they have got a lot of depth in there, the likes of Jodie Taylor? Is it just a case of Chloe having to buy the time a little bit, do you think? Without a shadow of doubt, she should be in that England side. And I think not only Evertonians, but fans in general of the women's game will be quite shocked that she's not in there. I mean, as you just said, then, even if you're a fan and you don't necessarily watch a lot of the women's football as of yet, you just see them stats. You know she's been crowned the the Barclays Player of the Month for September. She's just received a nomination for October. She scored four goals in five league games. And she's not been called up for England. And there's some players in there that aren't on half the form that she's on. And for me, if you're managing the national side, you've got to pick the team on current form. And right now, I think anyone, any nation would be snatching at the chance to have Chloe Kelly playing for them. And it's a sellout, you know, it's a a sellout Wembley game against Germany. And I just think, what more could she do to get in that side? She must be scratching her head thinking, you know... um, and, and she's a great character. There's no way she's going to let it get her down or anything. She'll just crack on as usual and keep doing her thing. But it is just, it's really hard to take. I think there's a couple of, of our girls that you could make cases for as well. Gabby George in there as well. And um, we've kept three clean sheets out of five league games and she's been strong. So, yeah, I just would like to see that the side's getting picked more on current form. It's not just Everton as well. There's players from, from other sides, I think, that haven't been selected that perhaps should have been. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind that she's going to go on to be an absolute star for the Lionesses. So she will just have to bide her time. But yeah, she should be there. And it, and it's really, it, it must be a tough one to take because, you know, a sellout, a sellout Wembley Stadium playing Germany, it, it, it's a bit tough, really. She must have been thinking she was in there. Mm. I know I would be if I, <laughs> if I was hitting them stats. So, uh, yeah, let's let's hope we see her back in an England shirt sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm sure it would be far off if she keeps scoring goals like that. I'm um, just branching out a little bit then, Sarah. Uh, the big news from Merseyside over the last few weeks was in regards to Anfield is going to host the Women's Super League game for the first time next month, and obviously very special because the the Merseyside derby is going to be on November the seventeenth. I saw earlier today that Everton put out ticket details for the away allocation. Everton have got 2,000 tickets. Um, just feels like a, a really great move. And you imagine with the, the buzz around women's football at the moment, with how well Everton's team are doing in particular, that this is going to be really well attended and a great occasion for everyone. It's massive. You know, when I found out that this was going to go ahead, I was I was so excited. We all know how important the derby is and 
I know it's it's the women's game and some of our fan base and some of Liverpool's fan base mightn't follow the women's game, but I think this is that excellent opportunity to to get your first taste of that. You know, it's being played at Anfield, our old place, <laughs> one of the most famous <laughs> stadiums in, in the world, to be honest. And, you know, what an occasion for these girls and for the fans. So I know Evertonians are going to... them Our away tickets, 2,000 plus, I know that they'll get t- snatched up and... Um, I'm sure Evertonians that do come along will be delighted because I think we're gonna I think we're gonna put in a really really good performance there and I'm confident that we'll mm. we'll be getting three points at Anfield. It's during the international break as well, so there is literally no excuse. Um, it's obviously on on the Sunday as well. It's part of a, a it's part of a, a bigger scheme, isn't it, in regards to women's football weekend over the course of that of those two days? Yeah, that's it. And you know we've seen a few games already this season, big derbies being played at, at the Etihad at the, the London Stadium, etc. And we're seeing this happen more and more. We're trying to get fans to get their first taste of women's football. Um, and sometimes it is just getting to them stadiums, the stadiums that you're familiar with, that big buzz about them. But it is about encouraging people to come down because we've seen it. We've seen it fly and we've seen it flop sometimes. But I know that with with scousers, with what football means to people in this city, um, both Reds and Blues are going to fully get behind that and get behind their, their women's teams. And it's going to be a great day, mate. And uh, I hope to see you there as well. Yeah, well, I'll do me, but I think I'm going to a whiskey tasting day the day before, so it might be a bit worse for wear, but I'll make sure, <laughs> I'll make sure I'm there, uh, definitely whether hungover or not. But uh, of course, Sarah, as well, good chance to see Evans actually win a football match at Anfield for, for the change. Well, this is it, to be honest with you. I actually said this to our assistant manager uh, when it was announced. I said, Chris, that I'm made up, mate, because I think, you know, we're going to see Everton beat Liverpool at Anfield. And he was laughing because, yeah, it, the, the women's side are just in such strong form this, this season. They've come on leaps and bounds and Liverpool are rooted to the bottom of the table at the moment. Uh, they are struggling and they've got some good players in there as well, but they're, they, they're struggling. So I think in terms of confidence and everything else we've got no better opportunity to go and uh, and do <laughs> do one over on our neighbours and mm. what better place than than on their turf as well so fingers crossed but more importantly as well you know it, it is just great for the game and as much as it'll be tasty it's a derby it's it's women's football, but it won't. It, there's there's mm. not always too many nice things on, on on a derby day. But yeah, it's, it's just going to be great for women's football and for the city as well. So I'm so excited. I could tell you had a, a huge smile on your face then, Sarah, when you said Liverpool are struggling. It must have been such a nice nice thing to say. <laughs> it's awful though because I've got two really really good mates that that do coverage of, the, of their team and stuff. So it's like. Oh, I feel guilty. Oh, they'll be feeling sorry for them. That's what they want. Well, well, they get their own back on me every weekend as well with, with, with the men playing. So, <laughs> so we'll, 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 uh, we'll even things up, I think. <laughs> uh, just before we, uh, we finish up tonight, I uh, just want to get your thoughts on the, the game last night. Um, you know, Speaking to, to Paddy and Mike about it before, I think there's sort of two very distinct trains of thought in regards to this. Some people are coming away going, oh my God, that was hard lines and another really bad performance. And always just shrug the shoulders and go, well, we're in the hat. We're in, you know, quarterfinals could potentially be four games from a trophy. Um, where, where are you with it all, Sarah? First of all, obviously delighted that we are in the hat. Um, we need to win a trophy. And this is a really good opportunity to do that. Again, tonight, some big sides are going to exit the competition. Uh, there's some lower league competition in their uh, team, sorry, in the competition still as well. So I'm made up with that. But I'm deflated with the performance still. Um, 2-0 was a scoreline, but I think 
at half time, you know, you could hear a few grumbles and groans and people weren't satisfied um with with what they saw. Um I was no different, I was no exception to that Matt. I think I was okay with the starting eleven, made up to see Iwobi in there still. Um Holgate did really well. Obviously it was it was great to see Mina back in the side. I think maybe Tom Davis, we missed his directness a little bit in there, but yeah. it it just didn't it just didn't feel quite right. We didn't create too much, little chances here and there. Uh I think second half was was a bit better. Well it well it was obviously we scored the two goals in the second half and went on to win the game, but we were creating more, we looked a little bit more lively, but it just doesn't feel like you know, when the last time I can really think that we we played like it, other than the few games towards the tail end of last season, was Martinez era where you'd go to watch Everton and we looked a unit. We we knew mm. the team; it moved together, it flowed together. We knew our identity, we knew what we were. It's just so hit and miss at the moment. You know, we had a good performance against West Ham, beat them two nil, convincingly decent performance, and we need to build on that. And then we go away to Brighton. Yes, there's unfortunate things that happen, but still we, we drop our heads and we go on to lose the game. And I, I'm just, I just don't know quite what's going on and mm. quite where we're heading. We're still seeing players. The team selection's got better for me, but we're still seeing players being played out of position. Moise Keane, what's he doing on the wing? Why aren't we having him? So, so, there's, just, there's just things that are really, really frustrating. And we've got such a tough run of fixtures coming up that, you know, we don't want to be sat in, in the relegation zone come Christmas, so we really, really need to not only beat Spurs on Sunday, which is going to be a task in itself, but we need to see some tangible progress because right now it's it's just not clicking. Yeah, fingers crossed, things do improve soon. Of course, we get a nice, easy draw on uh, on Thursday. That would also be very pleasant indeed. But uh, Sarah, always good to speak to you. Thanks very much for coming on, and uh, no doubt we'll catch up again soon. My pleasure, mate. Speak to you soon, Matt. Always love to speak to Sarah, and that brings an end to this week's show. Thanks very much to Mike and Paddy for coming in earlier as well. Uh, we'll be back again on usual Blue Room feeds over the weekend when Everton play Tottenham Hotspur on Sunday for the Instant Match Reaction. Otherwise, we'll be back again next Wednesday at 6.30 here on Radio City Talk. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to amazon.com apply. That's amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.